When the wise men had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us now, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, I told you all a small part of the story of how I received my call to the ordained ministry. I actually had somebody uh, come up to me after the service and complain in a good-natured way, of course, that I'd left them in suspense. They wanted to hear the rest of the story. I'm going to mention this story again this morning, but again just for a few seconds. It's once again going to be frustrating for anyone who wants to hear the whole thing. But I have a deal for you. You take me out to Jumbo Buffet sometime, and I'll tell you every detail, I promise. But the reason that I'm going to mention this story this morning is because it is Epiphany Sunday today. Now, of course, actually, for those of you in the know, Epiphany was yesterday. This is technically the first Sunday after Epiphany, but we are moving the feast and celebrating it this morning. Now, one of the ways to translate the Greek word from which we get epiphany is revelation. In fact, a sudden revelation, sort of an aha moment. And that's what epiphany is all about. The aha moment that the wise men have when they meet the baby Jesus and decide not to return to Herod but to go home by a different route. But more on that in a second. The reason I wanted to bring up again my story of how I got called into ministry is that it is one of the aha moments of my own life, one of the real epiphanies, when something that I didn't know all of a sudden became something that I knew with astounding clarity. I could probably take you to the Tucson, Arizona Sam's Club parking lot and show you the spot on which I had this epiphany. That's how profound it was. One second, I was wondering what it was I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing, and the next second, I was absolutely sure, as far-fetched as it seemed at the time, that I'd be doing this. But it was a second epiphany that was probably even more crucial for me. This one was ministry related to, this time though, I was already in seminary. Now, a little bit of backstory about me. I had gone to seminary thinking that I was a good person and that I was getting into the ministry to help other people become good too. But then I ran into a professor who changed everything. What if, he asked us one morning during Bible study, what if when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, 
he actually meant it. What if the gospel, he went on to ask us, what if the gospel is good news for Christians too? Now maybe those sentences don't mean much to you, but they completely rocked my world at that time. It was one of those cold sweat, clammy hands, pounding heart situations. I had been in church, in good Bible-believing churches my whole life, but it was as though I was meeting Jesus for the first time. I had come to believe somehow that Christianity was fundamentally about my obedience. Christianity was not so much about what God had done for me as it was about what I could do for him. And to hear that when Jesus said it is finished, he really meant it, and that he meant it for me too, even now as a Christian, well, that changed everything for me. It was an epiphany. So now let us turn our attention to an epiphany that happened 2,000 years ago. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. These Wise men come from the east following this star because they've heard that it will lead them to the newborn future king of the Jews. And they want to worship him, to pay him their respects, to pay him homage. First, though, the star leads them to Jerusalem and to Herod. And when Herod hears this news, this news that the wise men receive as joyful and happy, Herod gets afraid because... If the Jews have a new king, then Herod is going to be out of a job. So he tells the wise men that he too wants to pay this new king homage, and that when they find this baby, they should be sure to come back and report to him and tell him where the child is staying. Now, of course, if we were to read just a few verses further than we have in our assigned reading this morning, we would hear about what Herod is really up to when he finds out that the wise men have not come back to him, that they will not be reporting about the whereabouts of the new king of the Jews, that they'd gone home by this different route. Herod gives an order that all boys two years of age and younger in the entire area be put to death murdered. In his zeal to kill Jesus, having been betrayed by the wise men, he now kills an entire swath of baby boys. What the church remembers on the feast of the holy innocents. So what happened to these wise men? Why the change of heart? What made them decide to go home by a different route? to not report back to Herod as they had clearly originally intended. Well, we read, of course, they were warned in a dream, but something else happens too, something quite profound. They meet Jesus Christ, 
just like my epiphany in seminary, meeting Jesus for real cannot help but change everything. I said at the beginning that epiphany means something like a sudden realization, an aha moment. In the church, it refers specifically to the revelation of God, making himself known. The manifestation of God, like we sang in our hymn, God in man made manifest. The ultimate unknown, the unknowable almighty God, becoming known in Jesus Christ. That's what the wise men were witness to. They know that they can't go back to Herod and sell out this newborn because they've come into contact with their Savior, with Almighty God, made incarnate man on earth. They've experienced an epiphany. But the cool thing about this what makes Epiphany, as we celebrate it in the church, truly unique is that this is actually not the first time that God has revealed himself, is it? The most notable previous time was when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. God appears to Moses in a cloud and gives him the tablets of the law. And this interaction is so profound that Moses is literally glowing when he comes down from the mountain, so much so that the people of Israel cannot look at him. This is certainly a revelation of God. The commandments, indeed, reveal what God is like. In their essence, they describe him. He is holy, perfect, and good. And so his commandments to us are truths just like that, but in requirement form. This is what I am like, God is saying. So this is what you shall be like too. God is revealing himself in the law, but we don't call that the epiphany. That's not the aha moment. Remember last week in John's prologue when he writes that the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Which one is the aha moment? Which one is the epiphany? It's Jesus. We saved, the church saved the word epiphany, the sudden revelation of God, the aha moment for today, for the recognition of Jesus Christ specifically. I have a friend who says that we are all born lawyers. The law is, in a sense, the way we are hardwired as creatures made in the image of God. It's why the basic tenets of the law are the same religion to religion all across the world. There is, in fact, only one God, and he has written his law into our hearts and into the very creation itself. Don't lie. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder. There's nothing particularly aha about any of that. In a sense, that's old news. We know that. It's boring. That's the kind of generic religion I was practicing even after I got to seminary. 
the religion of rule following and obedience. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christian rules, God's law as a reflection of God's character, these are good and righteous and holy and true, and they demand to be followed. But, as we are about to find out, they are not the whole story. Remember John. The law indeed came through Moses, directly from God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I needed, like the wise men, to really meet Jesus. Jesus is a whole different story. His gospel is utterly new. The good news that grace, unmerited favor, exists. That a sinner might not get what's coming to him, but instead be raised to new life. That a sinner might have his sin given to the righteous Son of God, laid on his shoulders, and be given that Son of God's righteousness in return. That mercy triumphs over judgment. This is an aha moment that will rock your world forever. When I came into contact with this revolutionary idea for real for the first time, this epiphany, I could barely handle it. It seemed too good to be true. But thankfully, the Lord put people in my life to teach me, gave us the scriptures to study, gives himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ to assure us that, yes, it is all true. For the wise men, it changed everything. They knew they had to walk a different road. And it changes everything for us today. We expect the revelation of God to be more like the Ten Commandments. Rules, requirements, judgments, laws. That makes sense. Remember St. Peter's reaction in Luke chapter 5 when he meets Jesus and realizes that he is the Messiah, the Christ. Depart from me, Peter says, for I am a sinful man. Remember also Isaiah's reaction when he finds himself in a vision in the throne room of God. You can find it in chapter 6 of his prophecy. Woe is me, Isaiah wails, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. That's what we expect when Almighty God reveals himself. We are sure that the arrival of a holy God will mean the death of a sinner. So, it is an earth-shaking epiphany when Almighty God becomes incarnate on earth and He is a Savior. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This Christ the Lord, this Savior is 
a healer, a minister, an offering and sacrifice for others. As we'll say in a few minutes, he is a propitiation, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Life certainly makes more sense under the law if we each just got what we deserved. But that's terrible news for sinners like you and like me. We have much better news than that. While the law came through Moses, straight from God, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus has come, and he has come to save. In a few minutes, we'll make a simple confession together, simple enough that it will include every one of us. We'll confess that we have not loved God with our whole heart, that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. That's the bad news. That's the result of life under the law. A law which is, again, directly from God and is good, true, and holy. But this law cannot help but judge us. The good news, the announcement that shakes the earth and shatters the way we think the world works, the good news is that God himself came down to earth and turned the axis of the world from the law, in which everyone gets what they deserve, to the gospel, in which sinners who repent get new life in Christ. This is the good news about Jesus. You, you, who spend your life trying to bear the weight of the law, are worn out. You cannot do it. The Bible calls you dead. Your sin overwhelms you. But Christ's work for you is finished. His life was perfect. And yet the deserving has been reversed. The scales of justice have been turned upside down. Jesus died the death that you deserve. You receive the perfection, the new life that he earned. And now you, a sinner made righteous, have been set free. <coughs> that is an epiphany. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.